more. Nicole C. And I am super excited to be back with you right here on Loveified. Yeah, I know it's been a moment. I know, I know, I know. But I've been doing stuff. I've been having things to do, places to go, people to see. Anyway, today I am so looking forward to talking to you about what God has been up to in my life. Uh, I talked to you about the love that he's given me and what he's been showing me in the scriptures. But before I do, I have to welcome a very, 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 very special guest that uh, I have known all my life. Matter of fact, she is the one that God used to produce my life. Uh, Please give it up for my mom, the great. We call her either Mrs. Coleman or Graham, so don't try and call her anything else but that. But anyway, welcome mom to Love of Five with Nicosi. I'm so glad to be here with you dear today. Thank you for being here. You know what? Uh, you are my neighbor. We both live <laughs> out in the country. We are country bumpkins. Don't try and find us, y'all, but we are country bumpkins. And around this time, normally, you have your hands in the dirt. Yes. You know, and have you placed them in the dirt yet? Uh, not as much as I want to, but I'm getting ready to start planting my flowers. And my neighbor is coming from down the road to help me with put my garden in this year. Okay. What do you plan on planting this year? I am planting zucchinis and squash and bell peppers and tomatoes, cabbages, and sweet potatoes. Ooh, see, y'all see why I'm not going to have to go to the grocery store, because I'll be, like, (laughs) knocking on mom's door, saying, "Uh, Mom, can I borrow? Can I borrow? Can I borrow? Um, I need to actually plant a garden this year, too. I mean, you've helped me with flowers in the past, and I think last year we both planted some sweet potatoes, and uh I think we learned a very valuable lesson with the sweet potatoes, yeah. And, and part of that lesson, y'all, I'm, I'm going to let mom talk in a second, the two, I promise. But part of that lesson was, is that there's an appointed time to harvest, you know. We had the potatoes and we had them planted, but we weren't sure of, like, when to dig them up, you know. And so eventually we called a friend and she told us that uh, I think our time had really expired. And she said, if you don't get the potatoes at a certain or during a certain period of time, that they will turn back to compost. So what was at one point a harvest that could be eaten is now turning back into something that would fertilize the next harvest, you know, because we, we had missed it. And so she said, but you might still you know, reap some little ones. And so I remember digging in the dirt and you probably dug in the dirt at that point. And we were like, let's get and see, let's see what's underneath it and let's take out all that remains. And I mean, I had some little ones that were left, but not as big as they would have been had I got them at the right time. Oh, yes. Same here. I had small ones. So I know know how sweet potatoes are supposed to be because my first crop that I ever planted, I had humongous you did, actually. I had humongous uh, sweet potatoes, yeah. and that was coming from watering and also doing the miracle grow. So yes. I know I know different things that you need to have yes. if you want a beautiful, bountiful harvest. Yes, and she's really good at producing good harvest. Uh, and, and on top of it, like we said, we learned that after growing it, there is a proper time to pick it and to reap it. Yes. And even in life, if you miss that appointed season— of reaping, then you won't have the benefit of what it is that God wants to feed you with, you know? And so I pray that 
people who are listening wouldn't miss their appointed time to hear and to eat from what God is presenting for them to eat as well. Um, you, you know, I've been thinking about something, even the title, Loveified, you know, how for me it's more of being certified in love, being bona fide in love, like you got your degree, you know, or we're getting our degree in love. And so I, I thought, you know, I really want to do a segment called, you know, Loveified Love Notes, where we could just share practical tips with people as to how they can love other people, how they can receive love, but more more than just actually receiving, but how they can give love. And with you, Mom, you have been such a Proverbs 31 throughout the years. You really have. And uh, <laughs> you have also been somebody that people go to to have, you know, them. you pray for them, to teach them how to pray or agree in prayer with them. And on top of it, you've been someone who even in the midst of your own grief, in the midst of your own loss, you have reached out to other people to say, let me help you in your season. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that from that, you've learned deeper ways, more practical ways to actually meet the love need, to fill the love tank in other people. And I think some of the ways and some of the things you've learned might be things that we can sometimes miss on this side because we don't see it, we don't get it. And so I just thought, you know what, maybe if you have something on your heart, a love tip or love advice that people can implement with other grieving people, people that are going through a season of loss that we may miss, you know, if we're not instructed by someone who's a little more sensitive to it. So um, Dr. Mom, Haha, <laughs> okay, I'm calling it that right now. But Mrs. Coleman, Graham's yes, mother, yes. can you share with us uh, just a love note that you might have on your heart? One of the love notes I have is that always remember the person's loved one that has uh, is no longer here with them. Remembering birthdays are very important. Remembering anniversaries. Send the grieving person Cars on those special days, birthday, anniversary, hmm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's Day, all of those things are very, very important to that person whose loved one is not here anymore. So, and also I learned that when you speak and share something that that loved one uh, has meant to their their lives, it really uh, just brighten our hearts and our load and say, and it's a process of grief. Okay, like what? Like what kind of things? Okay. When, if you share with me a moment, like um, someone shared with me that my husband uh, went to the hospital while they were having a baby. I never knew that. Okay. So when it was told to me, it just, it made a smile come across my face because that was my husband's uh Favorite thing in life was trying to get me to smile because yes. he said I was too serious. And yes. so he wanted to lighten me up. <laughs> Make you laugh and smile. And laugh and yes. smile. And then I got a note from a young man in a church that we used to belong to. He sent me a note. And oh, what, um, say like medicine words was to, to know what um, my husband had meant to them. Also, I had my grandson to uh, make a video and talk about my husband. And that just, uh, it was really, really balm and medicine to me. Okay. 
And so these are some of the things, you know, also uh, inviting a person out to dinner. Okay, so let me ask you, let me back up a little bit. So in a nutshell, you're saying on the other one, remembering the person who's passed. Yes. And not being afraid to speak about them to the one who's still grieving over them. Because yes. I know sometimes like people who may not have somebody close to them that have left, and you're talking to somebody who may be in the midst of still grieving their beloved, you know, it's like, well, do I bring them up? Do I not bring them up? If I bring them up, am I, you know, pouncing on a wound? Am I making it worse? But you're saying that you've learned, that you've seen, that it feels more like love to remember them than it is to act as if they are just now forgotten because it's too painful to think about. I've learned that it's more on the the person who is thinking, well, shall I do this? It's more their comfort level in the sense that they're thinking, well, if I do this, I might make that person cry. But we're saying we want you to remember mm-hmm. that this person lived, mm-hmm. the person touched people's lives, and what it does for us when you come in and remember with us, even if we share tears. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of people's tears. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid of it. Learn how at times just to come and put your arm around a person mm-hmm. and sit there and cry with them. Yes, because that feels like love. That is love then, yes. too. Yes, yes. And, and so let me put this in perspective, too, and we will move on in a second. But, you know, so with you, one of your greatest, well, I say losses in this earthly realm would have been dad. I mean, I know you had other losses. I know your mom, your dad, I get, and and you have had sisters. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you feel it. You felt this even more so than a lot of people. But with dad, you and dad had been married for 54 years. What were, what was the month? Five of? months and 14 days. See, y'all, y'all see <laughs> that? That's, who, that's my mama. So to have loved someone for a lifetime, to have had that person in your life for a lifetime, and then to have them transition from here to heaven, it leaves a, a natural vacancy that is not hopeless, and you're not hopeless. And like you say all the time, your status may have— what, what do you, how do you say I it? always said my marital status have changed. That's my description. But my definition of who I am, my identity is, mm-hmm. I am a beloved daughter of the Most High God. Amen. So that, yeah, so y'all, that's mama. And that's true. And that's truth. Yes. And so, uh, again, I wanted to make sure that they understood that that was where you were coming from, too, as someone who is walking it out, not someone who is speaking from a lofty place of, this is what I've noticed in other people. But you're speaking from firsthand experience. This is what feels like love yes. to me. This is when I, I experience it. And I think that's something that we— can implement in our world too, because a lot of us have come in contact, or we have friends, we have relatives who have directly lost someone that's close to them, that we might be a person or two people or three realms, you know, away from. It may not, degrees separated, I should say. But uh, for them, it is still fresh and it does, it is needed that we do remember and that we do continue to value the place that their loved ones and our loved ones have held in our lives. So, And for me, even with that, I love it when people talk about dad still. We talk about him all the time, me and my siblings all the time. I talk about, honestly, 
I talk about dad probably almost on a daily. I do. There are things that remind me of him, conversations that remind me of him. There are times when I think, man, I wonder what he would say. And then in my mind's eye, I can imagine dad would probably say this right here. Like I know what he would say because of the relationship we had. And so I look forward to seeing him again because I know where he's at and you know where he is as well. And so we are able to grieve with hope, but still we're able to grieve. Yes, I'm so glad that the the scripture doesn't say we cannot grieve. Mm -hmm. It says grieve with hope. And hope is the confidence assurance of God's goodness to me. Not based on my performance, but based on who he is. And he is good. And he's good even in this season. And why the grief is so painful is because we love. If you never loved anyone, you don't have anything to grieve, anyone to grieve over. Nothing. But when you love, yeah. you do. There's a pain there. And as you go through the process, as I heard a man say yesterday, God is not only in the process, but he's in the outcome of it. Yeah. And it will be good for you. Yeah. But he will take you through, he will take you through this process called grief and loss. And he'll bring you to that place where he has designed for you. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful for that, yeah. uh, that I did have your father for that long mm -hmm. in our lives together as husband and wife. And um, and daily, there are things that remind me of him. Mm -hmm. And um, especially in my house, uh, there are things in the house <laughs> that always remind me of, of him, and I get to smiling. But um, he's still I'll, making you smile. Yes, he's, yes, yes. <laughs> he yes. succeeded. He still succeeded in making me smile. <laughs> but there's one that put a bigger smile on my face, and that's God. Yeah. I call him, uh, he gives me God kisses. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you all ever saw the Hallmark uh, that Kathy Lee was in called The God Wink. Mm -hmm. But I call mine The God Kisses. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where um, this past um, Valentine's Day, <laughs> uh, I was watching this, um, my program on TV, Christian program, and they came on with this love song. L is the way that you look at me. Yeah. O is ordinary. Yes, Dad always sang And that. he always was sing, singing the song to me. And then when they were singing it, it was like, and they, I didn't know it. And the people that was being sung to, they didn't know the song was coming. Like, oh, yes, this is my God kiss today on Valentine's mm -hmm. Day to let me know that I'm loved mm -hmm. and that uh, I'm not forgotten. Yeah. And it was a blessing to me. All right, y'all. So you have a love note today, a loveified love note today from my mama. Yes. Words of wisdom, words of hope, words of encouragement, words of love. And uh, so anyway, I, I want to move on a little bit and I, I will have mom come back. So don't worry, mom will be back on loveified, not just today, but in days to come. So uh, if you need some motherly wisdom, if you need some uh, guidance from an older woman, mom will be popping in from time to time to drop that for all of us. But I do want to move on to our scripture memory today, and I want mom to help me with this here. Now, I just have to say mom was one of the first people on the planet who actually taught me to memorize scripture. So uh, I don't even remember even our lessons necessarily. I just remember at around the age of four and five, I was quoting Psalm 23 and Psalm 100. I knew those and I knew it because mom had sat us down and she had imparted 
and trained us in the ways of the Lord as she and dad would do together. But mom taught me the scripture. Anyway, but this one today is an easy one. This comes from Matthew 6, verse 10. And we're just going to do a portion of this right here. And the portion that we're going to memorize today is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this right here is a part of the prayer that Jesus actually taught to the disciples. Well, a lot of times we call it the Lord's Prayer, and it is a prayer that he gave, but it's really the prayer that he gave to us as followers of his. And so he is telling us to address his Father as our Father, who art in heaven. Then he says, hallowed, holy, be separated, sacred is your name. And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right now I need for you to say, your kingdom come. 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 Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done. My mom was cool, ain't she? Okay, then let's move on to on earth as it is in heaven. 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 One more time, y'all. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Now let's put it all together. Let's. I'll say it first and then you'll say it with me, okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Good job, y'all. Good job. And of course, great job mom, but great job. Okay, so I want to move on to recap what what it is we've been learning prior to on the other podcast. And if you're listening for the first time and you've missed some of the prior episodes, please let me encourage you to go back and listen to the earlier ones, okay? But uh, don't do it yet. Because right now, you know, we're going to listen to this one. So no worries if you hadn't heard the other ones yet. And I'll do my best to bring you up to speed, even if, you know, you don't get everything that I'm saying today. But I will promise you this, that even if you don't understand it all, if you open up your heart to the Lord, you will understand something. And that something is what He wants you to hear today. Okay? Also, before I move on, I'm going to do a little open book quiz now. This is for the rest of y'all who have been listening to the prior episodes on Loveified. And, you know, from time to time, I will actually just kind of, you know, just kind of stir your memory, see what you still remember, okay? And I've been doing this for years with teenage kids, you know, that I've been able to mentor over the years and disciple. And so today it's your turn. All right, so here we go. I have a couple of questions for you. They're easy. If you don't get it, no biggie. But you'll, you're, you're going to continue to learn, I promise. So let's see. The first one is King Nebuchadnezzar is a ruler of what place? If you said Babylon, you're right. Woo! Okay. Let's see. Another question is, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four teenagers taken from where? Where were they taken from? What place? Where were they taken from? 
If you said Judah, you are correct again. All right, another question. Because they were of the royal family and nobility, they were brought as exiles to Babylon and put in training to become wise men. Now, Daniel's three friends had their names changed to what? What were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's name changed to? What's the names that most of us know them by? If you said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you are correct again. See, somebody's getting an A+. I already know. I can just feel it. Somebody's getting an A+. And somebody's getting the, I don't know what you're talking about yet, but it's okay. Hold on, because you will. All right, one more question for you. Daniel's name was changed to what? What was his name changed to? If you said Belteshazzar, you are correct. You need, you are correct. If you said Belteshazzar, you need to give yourself a round of applause. That's good. Now, I do want to interject something right here. Because I know I've already talked about how people can try to label us, label you, and uh, call you something negative, as the kids would say, uh, call you out of your name, you know. But again, we have to remember that a negative label only works when we receive it as our new truth. I'm going to say that again. A negative label only works when we receive it as our new truth. See, I was thinking back to um, the days when I was in an abusive situation back in the day. You know, I was young. I was sad on the inside because I knew that I wasn't experiencing the attributes of love, even though the one who had vowed to love me would occasionally say the words. But see, y'all, love doesn't strike out in rage. Love doesn't punch. It doesn't kick or slap. Love does not speak hate, all right? So I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer because, you know, my story is ultimately a story of hope. And if you want to read about it, you can read about it in the book that I've written, My Redeemer Lives. It's personal, a story of hope for our time. Yep, yep, I'm giving a shameless plug. But anyway, but I just want to let you know that there is hope. If you're going through this, there is hope. There is help for you, okay? Still, I remember back in the time, uh, back in my early 20s, and uh you know, that was a couple of years ago. But who's counting? I'm just saying. All right, anyway, when the one who would abuse me, he would also shout a deafening question of judgment at me, y'all. He would ask and then answer his own question, and he would say, um, Nicole, what is your purpose in life? That's your problem. You have none. You have no purpose in life. And he hurled that question at me and that statement many times like fiery darts of the enemy. My little shield of faith would go up, and, and I'd do my best not to let it, you know, penetrate. But uh, let me clarify that, uh, again, to, this is not my current situation. Thank you, Jesus. He has redeemed me. But he, he, he would, in the past, he would hurl that question. And, and I'm not going to lie, because when he was mad, I was scared, y'all. I was scared of him back in the day. He was big. He had a mean streak. I knew better than to escalate the already volatile situation by giving a smart mouth response. But I also knew that I was not going to accept his description of me, and I didn't care what he called me. He was not going to change my first name, which is Eileen. Mom says Eileen, which means light bearer, nor my middle name, which is Nicole, which means victory of the people, even though he may have changed my last name. Now, I'm going to say this again. If you find yourself in a situation like this, 
just know there is hope and there is help available to you. And you can reach out to us if you need help, okay? But anyway, back to the story. So when he would yell, that's your problem, Nicole, you have no purpose in life, I would quietly tell myself, oh yes, I do. I do have a purpose in life, you'll see. Now, I wasn't brave enough to say it or to shout it, y'all, in his hearing, because I wasn't crazy, all right? But my quiet whisper was just as stubborn. See, I was remembering words that God had already assured me of. Some of these good words were spoken over me as a child, and some were straight from the pages of the Bible. In those moments, I may not have had big faith. Matter of fact, I didn't have big faith. I had little faith, and sometimes it was shaken. But I learned that small faith in a big God is a powerful thing. I'm going to say that again for somebody in the back. I learned that small faith in a big God is a powerful thing. And I began to lift this faith up like a shield against the assault and the doubt of despair. And it extinguished the fiery darts that were coming for me. My faith in what God had said was strong enough to dispel the power of the lie. So when accusations were shouted in my mind and saying that I wasn't loved and I never would be, the truth spoke in the recesses of my heart. I had to trust what God had said about me. And he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness, as over in Jeremiah 31.3. I was reminded that my maker would be my husband. He would never leave me nor forsake me. That means he would never abandon me, leave me hanging, reject me, or respond to me with cruelty. Y'all, I, I could really go on for days. I mean, I, I really could go on for days about what he has done. And and uh, that's partly why I just went ahead and wrote it. And, and that book is my part one. And one day I'll write my part two. I'll write the sequel. But anyway, I am so grateful for how God has uh, just used my life and how he is using my life. Because what he has done in my life is a testimony not to me, but to his power and to the veracity of his word. Again, he proved that he did and does have a purpose for my life, and he has one for yours too. Plus now, I have a husband. He's a real blessing and he's real cute. Okay, he don't like me calling him cute, but he is. He said, I'm handsome, I'm not cute, I'm handsome, but he's cute, okay? Anyway, he doesn't harm me, he shields me from harm. He uses his strength and his size to love and to honor and to protect me. My point in saying all this, y'all, is that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah they may have had their names changed externally, but on the inside, they held on to the truth of who they were. And that decision alone was enough to change the trajectory of their lives. Okay, so back to the story. So we have these four teenagers. They set themselves apart by the diet they chose and their challenge to be tested. After choosing only to eat a plant-based diet, no alcohol, they were noted for being in better shape than all the other young men, and they were even praised by the king as being 10 times smarter than all of his wise men. Soon after this, the king has a problem, and he has a dream that he can't decipher. So along with interpreting his meaning, he wants his wise men to tell him what he dreamed, and he wasn't even going to give them a hint. He then threatened to kill them all if they couldn't do it. The wise men tried to get him to think rationally by letting him know that no king anywhere has ever asked anything so outrageous and that this type of knowledge didn't reside in humans. They reported to him that only the gods could do this 
and they didn't even live among humans. So they were like, the gods don't live around here. So the king, he was tired of what he considered foolishness, ignorance, and decreed that all of his wise men, astrologers, magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers be put to death. Yeah, I'm not sure what category they put Daniel in, but he was none of the above, except for being wise. All right. So when the guard Ariok came to put Daniel and his friends to death, Daniel spoke to him with, according to scripture, wisdom and with tact. Let me say it again because I might quiz y'all again in the future. Daniel spoke with him with wisdom and with tact. Y'all hear me? All right. And he asked for an explanation as to why they were ordered to be put to death. Ariok told him that King Nebuchadnezzar was beyond mad because no one could interpret his dream. Daniel then asked to be taken to the king. An audience was granted. And there, Daniel pled for a little time to seek his God, the God, and promised to bring back an answer to Nebuchadnezzar. So long story short, the king granted him a temporary state of execution. He was like, all right, I'm going to give you a second to see if you can produce, you know, and I won't kill y'all today, right now. So when Daniel got home from seeing the king, he told his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened and begged them to pray with him for an answer. Another side note, I, I think it's interesting that he didn't ask them to fast and pray as Queen Esther would do at a later date. I believe it was because they were already living a life of fasting. They made it a daily practice to deny themselves certain things that they may have desired or, you know, had accessible to them. They had taught themselves to focus, and now they will focus their attention on asking God for deliverance and for an answer. So during the night, while Daniel was still awake, God gave him a vision of what the king had dreamed. Daniel was so relieved and elated that the first thing he uttered were praises to God, and the Lord showed him the answer. And that's what brings us to Daniel chapter 2, verse 24, okay? So I'm going to pick up and read from there. It says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. Verse 25. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But, but, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were laying in bed are these. Verse 29, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Verse 31. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. 
The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now I will interpret it to the king. So we're going to stop reading that portion today. We're going to just stick with that right there today, okay? And then the next time we'll pick up what the interpretation was, okay? So these are some of the things that stood out to me from even reading it, okay? So back in verse 26, it says, the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar. That's the name that the king named Daniel after his fake God. Remember, we had talked about that a couple of episodes back. And he's saying, the king is asking Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? It was like the king was like, okay, I've waited long enough. Are you able to do both of these things? Reveal my dream and interpret it. Like he wanted to know that Daniel was capable of delivering the answer. So he's like, are you really able to do this? Basically, or are you just stalling for more time? Because y'all know that the king didn't have a strong gift of patience. That was not his you know, he wasn't operating in the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. That wasn't his strength. All right, so verse 37, it, verse 27, sorry. It says, Daniel was replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. All right, hmm, wait. So he's starting off the answer like that to the king. You know, Daniel's answers sounds a little sketchy. He's like, no, nobody can do this. No wise man, enchanter. I'm sure for a second, the king is probably like, then why are you wasting my time? Like, if you can't, if no one can, then off with your head. That's what I was saying. Why'd you, you know? But verse 28 says, but, he came with that but, 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 okay? Daniel gets to the but real fast. Right after the no one, he's letting the king know that there is hope in this three-letter word. He said, but there is a God in heaven. Okay, that's his but. But, like no one on earth can do this, but there is a God in heaven. He's reminding the king that his situation in the natural is hopeless, but God. Now, I want to encourage you right now, today, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been told, but there is not a wise man not an enchanter, magician, no diviners, no doctor, counselor, priest, or pastor that can actually fix your problem or explain your mystery. But there is a God in heaven, all right? You take that one to the bank. There is a God in heaven. Daniel told the king, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Now, I think it's interesting also that God is revealing the, the future to a pagan king. Nebuchadnezzar is not a holy man. Matter of fact, 
He's taken God's chosen people into captivity. He's taken over the kingdom of Judah. Like he has, like he has pretty much like taken them all as slaves. He's not a godly man. It's as if God is deciding to speak to him in a way that he um, is unable to refute or deny. I mean, I, I mean, like God could have just sent Daniel to say to King Nebuchadnezzar, thus saith the Lord. And he could have just told him the same thing he had dreamed. You know, God could have left out all the imagery. He could have left out the statue. He could have left out the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron. He could have left out all that and went straight to the meaning. But the God of heaven knows the thoughts and the ways of men on earth. He also knows how to speak directly to the heart and use elements that are that we are familiar with to tell of greater things. So he knew exactly what to say and how to say it to King Nebuchadnezzar to get his attention. And I honestly think, this is just my, yeah, my thoughts, God is picking a fight. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm about to show you something. Like, you think you all that? I ain't gonna jump to the interpretation yet, but I'm just telling you. God's like, yeah, I'm about to show you something, sir. So in verse 31, it says, your majesty looked and there before you stood a statue, sorry, there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar is very familiar with statues, you know, it's what they use to worship their uh, gods, their fake gods. It's an idol that they, he was familiar with, you know, their, their gods. And when I say that, I'm saying small G for God, not capital G for the God, small G for the fake little gods. Okay, let's make that distinction. In contrast, the tribes of Judah and all of the children of Israel were told by God through Moses not to make any graven images. So that was not supposed to be a part of the culture of the Jews. So that would not have been something that Daniel would have had as a part of his common life, even though people around them, that was a part of why they went into captivity. They were worshiping false gods and idols and things of that nature. They had turned away from the true God. But now God is giving Nebuchadnezzar a dream that involved a huge statue. Okay. So in verse 32, it says, the head of the statue was made of pure gold. Now we know that gold is shiny. It ranks high in the properties desired for jewelry and wealth. It holds its value. And no matter how old gold gets, it doesn't tarnish or rust. You know, it might be strong, but it's not the strongest metal, you know. However, it is still moldable. It can also change its form in the fire. These are things that I was learning about gold. You know, gold can be melted. And although each of the atoms in gold are very, very heavy, gold itself is super soft and it can be beaten into thin sheets. Uh, one thing that I read was also that one small gram of gold, one small gram of gold can be molded and stretched to cover a square meter. That's about 10 square feet. So you're talking about one little gram of gold can be beaten, can be molded, can be stretched. That's how uh, malleable, moldable gold is, okay? Then it says it's chest and arms are silver. So just imagine a statue standing there straight. The head is gold. The arms are crossed over its chest. And that portion of the chest with the arms, that's silver. And silver is, uh, I was learning that it's called the white metal. And it's best for um, thermal and electrical uh, as a conductor. 
You know, it's that's a part of what is good for. It can carry heat. It can carry electricity without being destroyed. And it's also idea for, uh, you know, using in medicines and they use it in other consumer products like jewelry and coins and cell phones. Yep, cell phones, solar panels. Uh, it has, uh, it's very reflective. You can shine it. You know, people use it for silverware and for mirrors. It resists oxidation and corrosion. It's, you know, not as well as gold, but it, it still does. And so that was the top part of of the the arms and the chest. It was of silver. And then when you get down to the belly, it was, and the thighs, it was of bronze. And bronze is a copper-based alloy that's typically uh, made up of like about 88% of copper and 12% of tin and other traces of metals is what I was learning. So bronze is, you know, uh, it's harder than copper alone. It uh, can be uh, made into a lot of different things from sculptures and musical instruments and meadows and weapons and armor and uh, luxury items. It's also good for, you know, nautical purposes. You know, it's great for uh, ships and things of that nature because it's resistant to corrosion. So you have now on that statue so far, you have the gold at the top, then you have the silver in the arms and the chest, and then you have the bronze that's more in that belly and thigh area, okay? And then you come down, and for the legs, now you have iron. And iron, although it's shiny, it's also considered, you know, one of the white metals too. It's soft, and uh, but it it can rust. It's it's given over to rust if it's around moisture. So it's strong, but it uh, but it also says here that the iron was partly mixed with baked clay. And if you think about that, it's like that doesn't go together. Those two elements. I mean, you can probably bake them together, but eventually, because the clay can be brittle, it can be broken apart. And so we'll hear more about that as well. I think also one of the interesting things is that at the bottom of this particular statue, the iron and the clay are together. And we know that clay is, you know, it's also soil. And soil is what God used to make man. So this statue seems to be built on men. It seems to be built on the ingredients of man. So anyway, those are things that I just, you know, just picked up. And then it says in verse 34, it says, while you were watching, remember Daniel's still talking to the king, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Yeah, it's interesting because the the rock didn't strike the head, but it struck the feet and it smashed the feet. You know, if a statue is standing erect and you lop the head off, the statue would still stand. You just took the head off of it, or it could still stand, I'll say that. But if you smash the feet, then everything else is going to fall. Still, no matter how pretty or expensive that head of gold, no matter how shiny or strong the body of the statue, it was toppled by the rock. The rock brought it down. Remember that. Verse 35, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff 
On a threshing floor in the summer, the wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. What started, y'all, as an assault to the feet became an annihilation of the whole, like an explosion which destroys more than the place of its detonation. You know, my mind's eye, my imagination, I'm thinking of David and Goliath. You know, it's kind of reminiscent of that. You know, the giant was as tall as a statue probably, but he was brought down by rock. But unlike this story, this rock that Daniel was speaking of was not thrown by a boy and it was not aimed at the head, even though the head would be demolished as well. You know, it's as if the rock that was cut from the mountain was calling out to the statue. This is my imagination again, my holy imagination, bear with me. It's as if uh, it was saying, Oh, statue, like the rock is saying, oh, statue, you may appear to be stronger, shinier, more powerful than I, the rock. But when I crash into you, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to break you to pieces, scatter your remnants like an explosion of dust. And you will be forgotten about as the wind carries you away without a trace. Then not only will I replace you, but I, the rock, will grow so big that I will fill the whole earth. See y'all now, that's what I call picking a fight that you know you're going to win. And this is what both Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel saw in the same dream and vision. And now it's time for Daniel to explain to the king and to interpret to him what the dream and the vision actually meant. Whew, so y'all, I think this will be a good place for us to stop today because, hmm, I, I really want you to stay tuned for what's to come. Uh, what the interpretation is and how it actually applies to us as well. But I believe we have some good nuggets to chew on from Daniel chapter two. So if you get a chance, go back and reread it, okay? All right, y'all. So we're gonna go back over our scripture memory verse of the day before we leave. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So say it with me one last time together. Here we go, y'all. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right? And that's Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Who glory. Glory, glory, glory. Yes. God is good, y'all. God is good. So, uh, Mom, you mind? You mind praying over the people today? Father God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for those that are listening, whether they're in their homes, their cars, on their jobs. I thank you now that the Holy Spirit would give them the right interpretation of going through grief and pain, <laughs> the correct interpretation that you love them, even in the pain. And I thank you that you will reveal yourself as the God of comfort, yes. the God of peace, mm -hmm. and the God of hope. And I give your name all praise and glory and honor that the Holy Spirit would make this so real today that they have comfort, they have peace, and they have hope that you're offering to them and may they receive it because you are a God who gives us comfort, peace, and hope. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. First of all, again, thank you, Mom. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. But make sure you subscribe, y'all, to the podcast. That way you'll never miss an episode of Loveified with Nicole C. right here on accessmore.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, remember, I love you. My mama loves you. God loves you. So you have plenty of love to spare. So if somebody treats you really badly today, do not return the favor. Be nice. Pass the test. And get yourself Loveified. I'm Nicole C. Grace and peace, y'all. Let me hear you say I-